Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We could soon see new warning labels on booze, a new approach to help Hamilton's homeless. What challenges are local businesses facing these days? The debate continues over Ontario's private public health care plan. Have you seen Canada's Home Buyers Bill of Rights? No, no one has. And the best revenge songs are... Find out next on the GMH Podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. I think Canadians and people around the world have been rather in the dark about how much alcohol is is okay. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That is the focus of our poll question of the day today. Alcohol, how many drinks do you have in a normal week? Based out of a suggestion or a recommendation from the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, which says, hey, two drinks a week is enough. That is down considerably from the last time around of 10 to 15, depending whether you're a man or a woman, back in 2011. How many alcoholic drinks do you have in a normal week? You can vote now on Twitter at AM900CHML, where 51% of you are saying none. 27% are saying five and more. There are other options out there, one or two a week or two to five. You can also send me a text on this at 905-645-3221. Patrick did. He has sent me a text saying, no alcohol drinks for me, not in my budget. I hear you, Patrick. I hear you loud and clear. Uh, There's another part of this alcohol consumption story, and it has to deal with the health impacts. And the question that... Some are asking or saying, hey, we should be asking this is, should we have some kind of warning labels on alcoholic packages, including cancer warning labels? Well, let's talk to someone who has actually studied this. Dr. Aaron Hoban is a senior scientist, health promotion, chronic disease and injury prevention at Public Health Ontario and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Hoban, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So you conducted a study on cancer warning labels on alcoholic packages. What did you find? Um, So Canada is a world leader in designing effective warning labels on tobacco packages and most recently cannabis packages. But alcohol is largely exempt from these labeling measures in Canada. And so our team partnered with the um, a team from the University of Victoria to design strong alcohol warning labels and then to experimentally test these warning labels in a real world experiment in Whitehorse, Yukon. And the labels that we tested um, were relatively large in size with a, with a bright yellow background and red border. And they had three rotating messages. Uh, The first was a warning um, linking alcohol to cancer. The second was um, um, included a message um, communicating Canada's lowest drinking guidelines at the time. So this study was conducted in 2017 and 18. And the third label included the number of standard drinks in a container. And we had a standard drink label for um, containers of spirits, wine, beer, and two liter bottles of coolers. And um, we conducted both surveys um, to test these labels as well as alcohol sales data. And the results of our study showed that over the intervention period, consumers in Whitehorse exposed to the labels um, had an increase in their knowledge of the health risks um, from alcohol, particularly the link between alcohol and cancer, and were more aware of Canada's low-risk drinking guidelines. We also found that consumers in Whitehorse were more likely to talk with their family and friends about um, the risks from alcohol, and that there was an increase in their intention 
intention to reduce their alcohol consumption. The sales data showed us that there was a 7% reduction in per capita alcohol sales in Whitehorse um, with the labels compared to two control sites, one control site in Yukon and one in Northwest Territories that didn't receive the labeling intervention. Wow. So how close are we to seeing cancer warning labels on alcoholic beverages? And I would imagine that those who make this alcohol are going to push back on it. That is a great question. Um, One thing I can comment on is that the interest in alcohol warning labels in Canada and internationally is growing significantly. So our um, scientific expert panel responsible for updating the lower restri- uh, the new alcohol and health guidance in Canada um, has had many conversations with Health Canada to talk about um, the evidence. I was also invited to the World Health Organization um, in Europe in December because Europe is also very interested in um, mandating cancer warnings on alcohol. So a a real interest in um, strengthening labeling information on alcohol containers, both in Canada as well as internationally. Are other countries doing this? So Ireland has actually both passed and is in the process of implementing cancer warnings on alcohol. Norway is also very close to passing legislation requiring these labels. And a report from the European Commission was published in 2022 calling for the entire EU to mandate cancer warnings on alcohol. So I'm expecting to see some um, progress in the EU over the next three to five years. Very interesting. Dr. Hoban, we'll have to leave it there as we're out of time. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Aaron Hoban, Senior Scientist, Health Promotion, Chronic Disease and Injury Prevention at Public Health Ontario. And the Canadian Cancer Society uh, did a survey last year and it found that 8 out of 10 Canadians actually support adding warning labels or some kind of health message to alcohol containers. So, yeah, don't be surprised that one day we'll see this on a can of beer or a bottle of wine. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Another big issue in the city of Hamilton regarding, uh, you know, health care. We talked about uh, business and uh, with Norm Schlein, the director of uh, ActDev here in Hamilton, how the business community is trying to push forward as we continue to endure the, um, I guess this is year three coming up of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. There have been many others that have been impacted negatively by the pandemic or just the cost of living, affordable housing or unaffordable housing or the lack thereof in this community. And so to that end, homeless encampments continue to be a massive issue in this city. Cooper Hager is with the Hamilton Encampment Support Network and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Cooper, good morning. How are you today? I'm well, how are you? I'm fantastic. What uh, can we expect to hear later on this morning at Hamilton City Hall? Um, I think you can expect to hear a lot of discussions around um, the city's general response to encampments over the years. I think the main messages have remained the same. It's always been uh, to fund free housing, to fund safe housing, uh, to fund you know services that offer mental health supports and, and harm reduction supports. Um, and I know that that conversation has also uh, been happening around the council table. Um, but I think you know it's it's about time that you know folks really understand um, that putting more funding into policing uh, and MLE and, you know, teardowns has only caused a vicious cycle of harm and will continue um, to do that. So I, I think, you know, expect to hear a lot uh, around 
you know, personal experiences and how policing um, and surveillance doesn't actually help uh, the issue at all. One of the, uh, there's a couple of staff reports that are going to be presented uh, at uh, City Hall today. One of them is the encampment pilot evaluation. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was obviously a pilot project that was undertaken to figure out, you know, how to stick handle around this issue. Uh, Did you think that was a success? The, I'm I'm not sure that it was. I think a lot of people were sort of left out uh, of the conversation as well. And I think, you know, there's often talk about consulting with unhoused folks directly, but, you know, based off of what's going on on the ground, we know that that's, uh, they're, they're often neglected in a conversation that impacts them directly. Um, and then the proposals with regards to uh, staffing and the, and the needs that the city is presenting as well today, I would say are quite disappointing, um, knowing that, you know, part of the team, there is like um, uh, a main housing outreach worker um, and then another person who will, who will work in housing outreach. I know there's also, you know, a request for funding to MLE officers, to police officers. Um, when again, I think the message has been very crystal clear uh, around what the actual supports are. Um, you know, a lot of people, um, especially now, I think the the encampment uh, scope or the encampment um, situation on the ground looks very different than it did a couple of years ago. And that's not because more people have gotten housing, but it's because, you know, the city really doubled down and cracked down on encampments in the city, um, pushing folks out outside in the outskirts sort of um, into their own um, situations. And that has just caused more unsafety um, and, and a lot of more uncertainty. Uh, it's cold outside. I don't think that the response to the cold weather has been adequate at all. Um, and, you know, once the winter's over, it will be spring and then it will be summer. And I don't think, you know, every year people die in, in, in the extreme heat. Um, and I don't think the focus should be, again, like staffing more police officers and spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on surveillance and, um, and, and policing when, you know, that same funding can go into initiatives that, that can actually support unhoused folks in Hamilton. We're talking about uh, houselessness and homeless encampments in Hamilton with Kubra Hager from the Hamilton Encampment Support Network. There's a couple of staff reports going to the General Issues Committee at Hamilton City Hall today, and one of those is uh, the encampment pilot evaluation. Um, there are some recommendations that come with this that total, if my math is right, uh, about $1.7 million, and they include extending the encampment response pilot to the end of April, uh, making the coordination response team permanent, and you kind of referenced that. It includes some outreach support staff. Uh, This recommendation or recommendations also include new outreach workers, both with, uh, you know, uh, with a focus on housing, with a focus on getting people to um, you know, a, a situation where they have shelter, there's supervisors, there's municipal law enforcement officers, there's a couple of police officers that will be dedicated to this. Are these positive steps or are you looking at this as a negative? Um, I don't I don't think um, if you say whether it's specifically negative or specifically positive, I think there are some aspects um, that are pe- being presented and, and even, you know, pointers such as the harm reduction point um, in one of the discussion summaries that they're going to be presenting. And, you know, you know, I, I do think that some of these things are good to shed light on in, in that they are required services. You know, they did mention, for example, expanding mental health supports. And, and I think those are all steps in the right direction. But I will continue to maintain um, that investing in, you know, uh, positions with $100,000 salaries and of people who continue to bully and harass encamped um, residents in Hamilton is, is, is a step in the wrong direction. I don't think it's positive at all um, when we do know that um, encampment residents feel unsafe around police um, and unsafe around MLE. I think there are quite uh, enough officers already doing the job. But again, like I said, we barely see encampments 
um, in Hamilton today, and, and that is a reflection of, of the, the crackdown on encampments. So, so putting folks in a situation where they need to confront that um, even further, and, and specifying, um, you know, funds for for these positions rather than put, investing that again towards so actual tangible supports for for unhoused folks and addressing the root cause of you know of homelessness in general. I think that that is where we're. Yeah, I think that's where we're. The, the city's missing it. There are certainly less uh, tents around the city, less less of these homeless encampments in the city. Where are these people? They're moving around. Um, some some folks are in shelters for a few days and then they're out again. Uh, some folks are just, you know, hidden in that. Uh, I, I think there was, you know, a very strong push and a, really, and a lot of um, effort uh, to, to disappear these people. Um, you know, I, I know that some people are kind of like in the woods or closer to like um, foresty areas where they can be less visible, but they're still around and they congregate um, downtown um, and in, on different, uh, in different areas downtown. Uh, however, I think a lot of folks have just dispersed and tried their best to remain um, as least visible as possible so that they don't get um, their encampments taken down. And for example, every single day we see requests for tents come in, and then the next day the same person will ask for a tent um, again because their tent was, you know, taken away, torn down, or whatever it may be. Um, and just because that that is happening so quickly doesn't mean it solves the issue at all. Um, I, you know, very much on the contrary, people are just losing their belongings and floating from place to place. Kubra, thank you for your time today and shedding some light on the homeless encampment issue in this city. Thank you. Thank you. Kubra Hagar is with the Hamilton Encampment Support Network. We're going to get a representative from the city of Hamilton on the show tomorrow to talk about these recommendations, the Go Forward plan, and how we can solve this very complex issue. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, as we know, over the uh, last couple of years during the pandemic, it has been quite challenging for lack of a better term, that's an understatement, for businesses here, there, and everywhere, particularly here in Hamilton. But there is some good news. There has been a lot of good news over the last number of years. And um, really, the, the, the big thrust of the positivity in this community has to do with the city's economic development department doing a great job of urging industry to come to Hamilton, to put down roots, to encourage existing businesses to continue to move forward. And so there's a new partnership between the city's economic development office and Workforce Planning Hamilton. It's undertaking a survey that focuses on the challenges that businesses have faced during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here to talk about it is Norm Schlien, the Director of Economic Developments with the City of Hamilton. Norm, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Uh, doing very well uh, this early in the morning. <laughs> that's, that's great to hear. Uh, this survey, it's called the Employer One Survey. It's now live. How can businesses participate? Yeah, well, maybe I can just give you a bit of a background, Rick, on, on the survey. It, this was actually uh, born about uh, two years ago out of the need that we saw when uh, workforce planning had always done an annual survey. And obviously, with everything that was going on with the pandemic, we really wanted to get an idea of what was going on here in our own community. So, um, this survey features uh, important workforce uh, development questions and focuses on the challenges businesses have endured throughout the pandemic. And this is an opportunity for all employers across all industries to have the opportunity to share their experiences and concerns. So businesses, business owners can go online to invest in hamilton.ca forward slash employer one, fill out a bunch of questions. You're going to get all this data. What is this data going to be used for? So, you, you know, it's, it's funny, not funny, but... Uh, we get lots of information at the provincial level, uh, but you know what? At, at the local level, 
um, it's very difficult to, to mine that out. So this this data, once once we get this information, we're able to basically see what the challenges are with businesses. You know, last year, uh, you know, the Ontario reported uh, when we did in Q1 that in, in that uh, recruitment was the big issue. This year, uh, uh, the same report, not the employer one, but the provincial data is coming back saying that it's uh, inflation is the big concern with businesses right now. And you know, we really want to see what this, you know, how Hamilton measures up, but by utilizing this data. So we'll get information on, you know, what the labor and recruitment challenges are of the companies, uh, supply chain and foot traffic. We'll also get, uh, you know, indications of how the workforce has either grown or, or contracted over the last little while across all all sectors uh, of the economy. Yeah, I would uh, I would guess that most businesses have somewhat similar challenges, whether it's supply chain or inflation. You know, a shortage of workers, skilled trade workers out there. Do do you take that information and then kind of make a plan on how to spur new business or help current business? What are you going to do with all this uh, information once you get it? Absolutely. So we we do that is the whole purpose of the survey, right? We we want to take that information. Uh, We want to assimilate and say, okay, what are the challenges and how can we adjust our programming to help uh, help our companies? And and first and foremost, uh, I think it's about how can we help our local companies expand. Uh, or, or stay in existence through, through all of this. Uh, the recruitment is, is secondary, although it is useful. Um, a lot of the state of that, especially for this year, uh, that we're going to be utilizing, um, we're, we're actually going to be launching a formal workforce strategy this year uh, for, for the entire city. Uh, not, not for the corporations in Hamilton, but for the, for the city in terms of what are the overall challenges of the workforce uh, in, uh, in, in Hamilton. Because I can tell you, the number one question we get asked when companies are looking to either expand or their operations here or move to Hamilton is what are what's your workforce like? Do you have the talent that you can supply for us so for us to expand our businesses in your city? Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Norm Schlien, the Director of Economic Developments with the City of Hamilton. We're talking about a new Employer One survey. You can find it online at investinhamilton.ca forward slash employer one. Uh, I was on the website earlier this morning and nonprofit organizations and charities are also involved. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so the survey is open for, for profit businesses, not-for-profit businesses and registered charities. So um, we, we want to base uh, employment is crosses all sectors and all sectors are experiencing the same challenges. So we really want to basically encourage everyone that has a business uh, out there, whether they're not-for-profit or, or for-profit or charity to, to, to complete the survey. And uh, Rick, I can tell you at this moment, uh, we have about 160 businesses that have uh, uh, completed the survey. Um, so it, it is, like you said, live on investinghamilton.ca uh, forward slash employer one. And uh, it only takes about nine minutes to complete. So um, I, I would encourage anyone that's out there that has a business to get online and, and fill it out. How long will the survey be open for? Um, when do you expect to have some sort of plan in place to say, all right, this this is the data we got and this is what we're doing? So we're going to have the survey open for about uh, the next month. So it's probably going to be open until about uh, the middle of February. And uh, as for the data, um, it'll take about uh, probably another month after that to cleanse. And we expect to take a report forward to uh, our respective organizations were first planning Hamilton uh, and City of Hamilton uh, by the end of March, early April. Good stuff, Norm. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Good luck with this survey.
Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. That is Norm Schlein, the Director of Economic Development in the City of Hamilton. Again, that website, investinhamilton.ca forward slash employer one. If you're a business owner, you work for a nonprofit or a charity, you can complete that survey. And uh, hopefully the, the ultimate plan will help move the city along from a business sense. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. On to more serious matters, and that includes healthcare in this province, a tug of war is underway between private and public care in this province. Yesterday, we heard from a couple of guests who were against what the Ford government is doing. I mean, liked part of what the government is doing, but not the entirety of this new private-public plan. Uh, The other day, we heard from the premier of the province as well. A lot of people out there, they want to have the endless debates about who should provide care. All I care about, all Minister Jones cares about, all our government cares about is that you get the care you need quickly and safely. More surgeries, shorter wait times, all paid for by OHIP. And those are all pluses. Absolutely. We, we can't listen to that and, and say, well, there's, you know, none of that makes sense because it all makes sense, right? Clear the hospital uh, wait list, clear the surgical backlog that we have in Ontario. And, and other provinces are dealing with this too. This is not just an Ontario problem. This is a nationwide healthcare crisis that we're in. And made worse by the pandemic because we knew, you know, surgeries were canceled, procedures had to be postponed, and now we have a massive backlog. So there's some people saying, yeah, this is a great plan. There's some people saying, yeah, there's some uh, some bad parts about this as well. One of which being a suggestion that a lot of healthcare workers in places like hospitals, for example, are going to jump ship and go to a private clinic. Uh, Dr. Rose Zacharias is the president of the Ontario Medical Association and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Zacharias, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. This new uh, public-private healthcare plan, where do you stand on this issue? So we certainly agree with the government that the status quo is no longer acceptable. Our patients have been waiting far too long for their cataract surgeries, hip and knee replacements. It's impacting quality of life, chronic pain, causing mental health issues when our physical health um, is is deteriorating like that. And so where we see alignment um, with the the principles of these surgical centers, uh, we've been recommending surgical centers to catch up on the backlog and to deal with our wait time issues. And, uh, and the principles there is the integration with hospitals. That is really key to ensure the quality of care, patient safety, um, equal access. And so the publicly funded nature of these surgical centers is, uh, is what we have been, um, recommending, um, to deal with our, to deal with the challenge. No plan is absolutely perfect. And this one certainly has, you know, a couple of warts. Uh, is, is there anything within this plan that makes you a little nervous? I think what I see see is that these um, surgical centers have actually been up and operational in other provinces in Canada. Ontario actually lags behind a bit. British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan have been doing these elective. We call them elective, not that they're any less important, but they tend to be the surgeries that get cancelled or postponed when a hospital operating room has to deal with, you know, that motor vehicle collision that now comes in and and, uh, and a fracture needs to get operated on or a catastrophic um, um, injury. And so dedicating surgical centers to um, bring in patients, um, we can see 25% more 
patients in this type of model. Um, but once again, no one should be jumping the queue and nobody gets first in line uh, by paying out of their pocket. These are publicly funded and equally accessed by the Ontario public. Well, we got a text from a CHML listener by the name of Mike yesterday, and you kind of just referenced it. The cost of a surgery, say cataract, in a private clinic is going to be the same as what is being done in the hospital right now. And will it be the same as well as what the government um, uh, gets from this private clinic or, or, or vice versa, I should say? So what's important here uh, is that anything that's medically necessary, so when it comes to a cataract surgery, that the OHIP funded lens would be available to a patient and everything that goes with the surgery and the, the, the preoperative care and the postoperative recovery care, every single aspect of that surgery would be funded by OHIP as it is now. And so the integration with the hospitals and the oversight there that then would be provided would ensure that um, as patients come into this surgical center for the same care that they would have otherwise received in the hospital, but are now receiving in a focused surgical center dedicated to cataract surgeries. Dr. Zacharias, thank you for your time today and enjoy your day. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Rose Zacharias, the president of the Ontario Medical Association. We'll continue to talk about this private public health care plan. We, we have to. It's top of mind for many individuals. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The price of homes these days, as, as you probably know, has gone up considerably over the last number of years. So much so that the provincial governments, the federal governments have thought about ways and have instituted some things to try to curb these large spikes that we've seen. And so one of those things is a potential end to blind bidding, and it falls under the umbrella of a, a, a what the federal government is calling a home buyer's bill of rights. Now, this isn't official yet. In fact, we haven't seen Anything about this Bill of Rights? Uh, maybe our next guest has. Let's ask him. Lou Periano is the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Lou, good morning. How are you? Hey, fantastic. Thanks for having us. So nine months ago now, the federal government announced plans to implement a, a home buyer's Bill of Rights. Have you heard when we might expect to see this thing? No, is the short answer. Um, you know, uh, the government is working on it. Uh, every time the government gets involved in something, we have a problem. Uh, the, this has you know, been true for as long as I've been in this business, which is almost 50 years now. Really, we would hope the government would stay out of it. The market and the reason for this was primarily because of multiple offers. The market always balances itself out eventually. And of course, that's exactly what we have here. Multiple offers are, are rare. And so uh, the main the main uh, complaint was, well, we you know, we we don't want to know. Uh, we have to know what the other offers are too to make things fair. And don't forget, when you take away a right from a seller and and give it to a buyer, you're still taking away a right. We believe that people should be able to sell their property whichever way they want to, and buyers, of course, don't have to participate in multiple offers if they arise. I've had many clients uh, over the last little bit where they've said, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna get involved in an auction. Uh, if it's still around, fine. If it's not, that's fine too. Um, also, um, you know, I really believe in the words of Ronald Reagan who said, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, 
I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> that is so true. You're, you're referencing blind bidding in which, you know, a prospective buyer makes bids without seeing what other potential uh, home buyers are offering. Ontario is going to make this optional for home sellers starting on April Fool's Day, which makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, I can't see a lot of home sellers saying, yeah, uh, let's, uh, let's open it up to everyone. Yeah, you never know. When I started in the business just before electricity, and as I said, in 1973, <laughs> um, that's exactly the way we used to do things. The listing agent would invite you to their office, and if there were four of us with offers, we would take our file folders and put them in the middle of the table, and they would read each offer aloud. Uh, that happened for at least 20 years that I can remember. And, you know, you, you might think it's the solution to everything, but in fact, what would happen was sometimes they would accept one of the offers, and sometimes they would send them back and say, sorry, guys, you know, try again. So you get into that auction mentality. And if everybody's ever been to an auction where people get excited, uh, they, they do tend to overbid. So uh, I, I think that could be one of the problems here. Also, in terms of empirical evidence, uh, Dr. Mike Moffat from a think tank called Smart Prosperity Institute uh, did a study and found that in six out of eight markets where open bidding was permitted, increased bid transparency was associated with higher and not lower prices. Now, there's very limited data there, uh, admittedly. Uh, his was an international study that included New Zealand, Australia, Sweden. So, you know, we don't want to make the assumption automatically that this is going to lead to lower prices. And we do need to balance the right of sellers with those of buyers, as the provincial government has tried to do here. Uh, and uh, also, you know, the, the federal government's working on stuff too, but um, the jurisdiction for this sort of thing is provincial. So once again, we have, uh, you know, disorganization at the government level. Rick, the whole reason we're in this problem is the fault of the government. The fault is that there is not enough supply. There's not sufficient supply around. And that's why you get into these messes. And that is government uh, oriented because they're the ones that have not made the land available and the building permits and so on and so forth that uh, the provincial government, frankly, right now is trying to, uh, to solve. Um, I recently read a report from CMHC, Canada Mortgage and Housing, that said that higher interest rates are a problem, lack of supply is a problem, cost of building is a problem, low vacancy rates are a problem. Uh, and that describes our situation perfectly, except it was written in 1975. Wow, that's amazing. Lou, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day. Appreciate it. Bye now. That is Lou Piriano, the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton, Burlington. A couple of other tidbits on this home buyer's right, uh, bill of rights. Uh, home inspections would be guaranteed or at least insured if you are buying a home. And uh, who knows, there might be a cooling off period. BC has that now. If you buy a home, you have three days to kind of reconsider and uh, maybe make make up your mind or, or make a change on that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. That is Miley Cyrus. She and Shakira have released, have each released revenge songs apparently, against their ex-husbands. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We've, this is nothing new. We've heard about these types of things before. There's a long list of revenge songs that resonate, might resonate with you. Alan Cross is the host of the Ongoing History of New Music and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Alan, good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm good. Why do we love it when musicians put out these revenge tunes? Well, this is something that goes way, way, way back. Um, 
the the original term for this was an answer song or a response song. Uh, it is a song that is in made in response to either a previous song by another artist or it's an answer to something that has happened in that artist's life. This goes all the way back to the 1930s and the 1950s. They were very, very popular in country music in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, a lot of it was uh, a female artist making a response to something a male artist or a male person did. I mean, you can talk, uh, you know, Tammy Wynette and D-I-O-V-O-R-I-C, and, and, and there's a bunch of them. Um, so we like to see, I mean, this is good gossip. We like to see artists feuding <laughs> with each other, or we like to see them um, offering up some 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 garbage in their in their personal life and you know we, we can talk about miley and, and shakira but the person who has made a whole a, a career out of this uh is taylor swift yeah uh, you know if you, if you go out with taylor swift and it ends badly and it always does uh, you will have a song written about it <laughs> and get some crazy amount of downloads for her as well you know the best yeah, that's right it made her one of the richest uh, uh, performers in the world. Absolutely. The best revenge song ever. Is it still Carly Simon's You're So Vain? That's a good one. Uh, 19, was it? 71, 72. Uh, she did not say who the subject of this song was. Uh, you know, some arrogant guy that slept around and, and uh, dumped her unceremoniously. You know, was it Mick Jagger? Did she trick Mick Jagger to actually sing backup on this? Uh, it turns out that she was talking about Warren Beatty, which mm -hmm. is fine. Uh, but yeah, that's probably uh, probably the most the most uh, famous one ever. Um, there is a song, you know. There's there's a ton. If you just go to, uh, to online and you look up answer song, you will find dozens and dozens and dozens of them. It's almost like going to the grocery store and checking out, or just at the checkout, you have all those tabloids, all those crazy kind of headlines, and this is in song form. It is, and you know what? It works because look at you and me are are talking about it, <laughs> and and people are going, "Oh, really? Well, I'm going to have to go and listen to those two songs, or maybe stream them, or download them, or whatever it is to find out exactly what the beef is." Because you know these are famous people who have these problems, and we love it when famous people suffer. Yeah, the song, the both songs are really good. Uh, once you start reading the lyrics, then you really get a sense of you know some of the. The 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 diss, I guess you know we call, we call these diss tracks. Uh, how they're throwing shade on you know their their exes in this case. Uh, Alan, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time today. Have an amazing one. You too. See you. That's Alan Cross, host of the ongoing history of new music. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of long list of diss tracks or answer songs or revenge songs. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.